Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I am so excited for all of you to hear from Mary Seppa, a former head killer rail trainer of the SeaWorld San Antonio team, and basically an all-round girl boss. So hi, Mary, welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here too, uh, just to kind of talk everything, not necessarily all things killer whale, but just, you know, how you made it happen. I think this is something that people just want to know. I wish I wish I could have asked someone when I was striving for that goal, like, how did you do it? I mean, definitely. It, it was difficult, you know, when I first got started because we didn't have all of the amazing resources, um, you know, like coming to you for advice to, <laughs> to start our careers, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I grew up in South Florida and I always just grew up around the water, around the ocean. I always knew that was my passion, but I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do with that passion. And so when I graduated from college, uh, my background is marine biology. I just started applying to any sort of relevant place. I applied to scuba diving shops. I applied to work at local parks. And then I applied to work at um, my local aquarium, which was the Miami Sea Aquarium. And wow. you know, I, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of resources. And so I did online research, which was very minimal at that time. And um, I was lucky enough to get a call for an internship at the Miami Sea Aquarium. And that is pretty much how it started. But when so you were like, when you were younger, did you always know that you wanted to be a trainer or did you just want to do something that involved, you know, animals and like you said, your love of being around the water? Yeah, I actually did not know that I wanted to be an animal trainer when I was younger. So I just, I grew up always telling my mom, when I grow up, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And I think <laughs> At the time, I probably didn't even know what that meant. And yeah. I think that she thought I would grow out of it. And I never did. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I, I went to college. I declared my major marine biology. And I kind of didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. I was always interested in marine mammals, but I was also interested in sharks. I was interested in invertebrates. So more just a general love of marine animals. And it wasn't until I went and did the interview for my internship um, after my interview was over, they let me walk around the park and just kind of said, you know, enjoy your day, go ahead and explore. Mm -hmm. And I stopped and watched, um, a trainer who would one day become a mentor for me do Amazing. the top deck dolphin show at Miami Sea Aquarium, which is the show I do today. Um, and <laughs> full that, circle. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a full circle. Yeah. Moment for sure. But I remember seeing her just kind of dive into the water with one of the dolphins and do water work. And it was that moment where I said, that is yeah. amazing. I, that's what I want to do. Um, and was that, was that the first time you had visited Miami Sea Aquarium? Uh, no, I had, uh, I grew up visiting Miami Sea Aquarium and SeaWorld Orlando with my family, just growing up in South Florida. Um, yeah. But I hadn't visited 
probably in quite a few years up until I decided to apply for the internship program there. Okay, so you really felt that kind of spark of connection watching the show, you know, I think that's something that that so many of us resonate with. I mean, I definitely did not grow up in South Florida. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> rainy Scotland is about as far from that as you can get. Uh, but I was lucky enough at one point, you know, for my mom to to take us on vacation to SeaWorld Orlando. And yeah, I had the same moment of watching the Believe show at the time and just being like, oh my goodness, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. But when you were watching that show, did you did you feel like it was it was dolphins from that moment? Because you said that when you were younger, you'd loved sharks, you'd loved all marine life. Did you start to feel like a narrowing in in your goals at that at that moment? I did for sure. And I think it was definitely marine mammals and specifically dolphins at that moment mm. for me. Was that just because you hadn't been exposed to killer whales in that way yet? Or you just loved everything that you'd seen in the show at Miami Sea Aquarium? I think it was just because I, I thought it was amazing just what I was seeing. And I think mm. I was just kind of in awe at the, mm. you know, just the fact that I just watched this woman dive into the water and now she's, <laughs> you know, doing all these amazing behaviors and, and flying through the air and kind of snuggling with this sweet little dolphin. And yeah. I just thought, oh, wow. I'm like, I want to do that too. That looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So, so for me, uh, killer whales wasn't really a goal it just was something that happened. Um, and it, I mean, it was life-changing in a lot of ways, but it definitely wasn't something that I uh, kind of sought out or aspired to. Yeah. I definitely, I thought, I always thought it was amazing, but I think for me, it just was kind of the natural progression of my career. Mm. Yeah. Like it wasn't, you set out, it wasn't like me who was just like, laser focused on this is absolutely what I, I need to do for me every choice that I made with regards to working with sea lions and then working with dolphins it felt like a ladder to the next thing it always felt like I was taking a step forward towards killer whales I was very clear and that that's what I wanted to do but it is genuinely surprising how many people become killer whale trainers and it was unexpected or it was this wasn't, you know, what I always saw myself doing, but once I was here, I loved it. So when you were doing your internship at Miami Sea Aquarium, tell us about that. What, what was that experience like, you know, getting into the field for the first time and getting on the other side of that door? Um, you know, for me, it was just really exciting um, to be able to kind of work alongside the trainers and kind of learn all about the industry. Um, that, that experience is very hands-on. Mm -hmm. um, I physically have never worked as hard in my entire life and probably haven't since. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we, we worked 10 hour days starting in the morning, you know, with, with fish house and delivering all the fish. And at that time, we also did all of the habitat maintenance. And so it was mm. a lot of really grueling work and long hours. But at the end of the day, I always just remember being completely exhausted, but just so excited for the next day to do it again. Um, oh, yeah. Like when you, you first know, start I, out in this field, you are, you know, you are so passionate about everything and, and so determined to make it happen. And you're getting all of these new, fresh experiences that you've never, you've never had before. And it just, it kind of becomes like a chain reaction to get you you know, working harder and, and doing more because you're just enjoying it so much. 
Yeah. So with your internship, did you, when did that finish? And after that, because at that point you'd realized, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. Where did you go from there? Um, I didn't go very far. So at the end of my my internship, um, there was an opportunity to swim test for an apprentice trainer position. Mm. um, And I was lucky enough to be offered a full-time job. So um, I I was very blessed in that aspect. I I just, (laughs) I, I volunteered, you know, I interned at the local aquarium by my house. I did one internship. I worked as hard as I possibly could and then I got an apprentice trainer position out of it so I stayed at Miami Seaquarium amazing Um, yeah amazing and you know it is it is rare for for things to happen you know I don't want to use the word easily like that because it's not easy at all you know the amount of work that you put in but it happening so fluidly I guess is what I want to say because so many aspiring trainers have so many roadblocks you know the normal is kind of rejection after rejection after rejection um so how did you feel kind of stepping into that role going from being an intern to now being an apprentice trainer did you struggle with feeling overwhelmed or did it feel very natural I feel I feel like it was probably a little of both Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I was overwhelmed at just everything that was happening. I think I, I was, you know, I knew nothing. I was so <laughs> brand, brand new to the field. So just kind of like a, a little deer in the headlights, just trying to absorb everything that I could, yeah. you know, I, I think that, I think sometimes the biggest mistake that new trainers can make when they go from being an internship to being a trainer is feeling like, oh, you know, I made it, I, I'm mm-hmm. here, I've, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you've only just begun. So I, I just yeah. did the same things that I did as an intern. You know, you have to, to keep that, that hard work ethic and that positive attitude mm-hmm. and the good teamwork. And so I think, I think those qualities helped me succeed earlier on in my career. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a fantastic mentality to have, I think in any job role, but specifically for our industry, because, you know, as a trainer, you, you never stop learning you know, every day is a school day, you know, you could go in and the animals are always going to be different. You're going to be working with different people. You're going to have different challenges to meet. And, um, and also the point you made about just getting down to the nitty gritty of the job and, and never stopping. And one thing I loved about working with my supervisor um, at Marineland with the whales is he was always scrubbing buckets with us. He was always in the, in the kitchen. He was, he did everything. He did everything with regards to the whole job. And well, we had so much respect for him as our manager and as our head killer rail trainer, you know, he was, he was down there scrubbing buckets with us. And, you know, that just brings such a great team orientated mentality to the whole job. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I think it, it, it is important to, you know, no, no matter how many years you've been doing this or how long you've been at a facility or in an area, you know, at the end of the day, we're, it's a team and it's a yeah. family and, and everyone has to work together. Yes. So yeah. yes, 100%. So yeah, if there's any brand new apprentice trainers or associate trainers out there who think that the hard work is over it absolutely is not (laughs) it never is it never ends never goes away yeah 16 Um, years later it never goes away (laughs) yeah I know 
So when, how long did you work at Miami Sea Aquarium when you started there as an apprentice trainer? I was there for four years. And so I started as an apprentice trainer um, at the sea lion and seal area. So my first um, paid experience was with sea lions, which I never really expected. And like I said, you know, I, I was inspired by watching a dolphin show um, and then sea lions very quickly stole my heart and are <laughs> one of my favorite animals to this day. <laughs> That's usually what happens to people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, they yeah. are amazing. They're definitely very special. Do you find um, that working with sea lions prepared you at all? You know, obviously at that point, you probably didn't know that you were going to go and work with killer whales. But do you feel that your time working with sea lions prepared you? in some way for that? I think so. I mean, I think any animal experience, especially with different species is valuable because I think you can take, you know, little bits and pieces from, you know, working with sea lions versus working with dolphins versus mm. beluga whales and killer whales and kind of share those experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, working with sea lions as opposed to working with dolphins, it's it's different because they can be on land with you and they can be in the water with yeah. you. So, you know, I think that, you know, I think that in a lot of ways it, it requires a lot of really, you know, quick um, decision-making in the moment. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think that that was probably a valuable lesson that I learned um, from, from being able to care for sea lions. Oh, I completely agree. You know, I think there, when, when I was working with sea lions, just for a year in, in Scotland, it was, God, it was freezing. We used to have to break the ice on the boot dips in the morning and we would just leave our fish out of the, out of the fridge because it was colder in like the holding area than it was in the fridge. Um, oh, I can't even imagine oh, that. Awful, just <laughs> awful. There's lots wow. of coffee, lots of coffee breaks you walk around looking like the Michelin man, you know, <laughs> with so many layers, like a fleece and then an anorak and then a waterproof and you can that never feel a, your toes. That's dedication right there. <laughs> oh, horrible, horrible environment to work. I, I'm not, I do not do well in the cold. <laughs> I do Neither not do, do well in the cold. <laughs> Hence why you're in Florida. I made the mistake exactly. of moving to the Netherlands. <laughs> I do not know why. Um, but yeah, working with sea lions gives you a good understanding of spatial awareness and understanding, you know, where your animal is and where you are and distances. And uh, uh, for me, a lot of safety, um, which I yeah. think is, is very important, you know, working with killer whales, not necessarily because they're any more dangerous than any other animal, but just, sure. you know, because they're so enormous, <laughs> yeah. you do have to be aware of where they are. Of course, and you know, safety is always a top concern. And I think it's it's a humbling experience in a lot of ways, just know that like, you know, you're kind of sharing this this moment and this time and this interaction with this animal, you know, yeah. and they're they're reading off of your signalman and you're reading off of mm -hmm. their signalman. And it's it's really, I think, like I said, humbling in a lot of ways because it's it's relationship and it's trust and mm. it's where your your knowledge comes in to play yeah. your training. Oh yeah. yeah. And I mean that that goes for all animals across the board, yes. but I do agree that I think it's elevated to a certain level with killer whales. So you worked with sea lions and where did you go from there? 
So from there, I did get moved to um, one of the dolphin areas at the park um, about like two, about halfway through my time there. So maybe two and a half years. Um, but what's really fun about it at the time is I never really left the sea lion area. So I kind of got the best <laughs> of both worlds. I got to go back and help out with shows and training sessions regularly. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's when I kind of got my first real hands-on dolphin experience was about about two and a half years into my my first job. And were you working um, interactions or shows? Um, I was working uh, doing shows at the time. Mm. And you know you've had a myriad of experience now with multiple different species. But for you, what are, well, what do you prefer, show or interaction and, and, and why? Um, I think they're both very different. So I feel like it's kind of um, sometimes hard or even unfair to kind of compare them. I feel like for me personally, I enjoy doing shows, but that's also where the majority of my experience lies. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like being able to put everything all together from, you know, a script and, you know, the entertainment side of things, but also the educational side of things. And then, you know, mm -hmm. when it all comes together, I feel like it creates these kind of magical moments, you know, that inspired both you and I to do what we do today. Oh, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, even today, you know, even today uh, I'll go out and do a show and I'm watching the people's reactions in the <laughs> crowd and, and yeah. listening to their tears, you know, when we introduce yeah. the dolphins, things like that. And mm -hmm. those are, those are like truly magical moments, but at the same time doing an interaction program, I feel like you're, you're still, con you're connecting with the guests, but on a much different level. Mm. And I feel like it's, uh, it's just more personal and more one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. So, you know, just to kind of, to, to do a 20 minute interaction program with guests and then get out of the water and hear how, you know, you change their life or to get a letter in the mail months later that, you know, their oh my daughter God, decided yes. to change her career path because she did a beluga interaction program yeah. with you one day, you know, is, you know, those are things that you just really can't, it's hard to put them into words. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of my favorite stories that I tell people is I did the it's a program, I don't think it's done at SeaWorld anymore, but it's called the Marine Mammal, or it was called the Marine Mammal Keeper Experience, MMK. And you kind of went around all like different departments in the park and it was just one person and one trainer. And I went around with a trainer called Meredith um, and she showed me, you know, everything. She was very patient, answered all of my never ending questions. And I told her like, I want to be a killer whale trainer. And like, I remember the look in her eyes that was just like, <laughs> oh, that's going to be difficult, uh, given that you're European. Um, but she was so lovely. And I remember going back um, to SeaWorld Orlando, I think in 2016, uh, when I was still a trainer at Laura Park, and I found her. And they pulled her out of, uh, she was working at Whale and Dolphin, uh, the Whale and Dolphin Stadium with the pilot whales and the bottlenose dolphins in SeaWorld Orlando at that time. And uh, she came over and just gave me the biggest hug and was like, I remember you. We do not get a lot of Scottish people here who want to be killer rail trainers. Um, and for her, it was just, I imagine a moment where she realized that the information that she had given me that day helped me to make a career, you know, yeah. and that you're completely right. That is so unbelievably special. That's such a cool story. That kind of just gives me chill. Yeah. Bit, you know, that's a big part of why we do what we do. You know, it's, 
it's so much of it is about the animals, but so much of it is also about just the connections that we get to make and and the the inspiration that we get to provide for other people that might not have thought that they could do what we do. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, if you get a child or an adult in a program or in a show, just like you said, like we can see everyone, like you're standing on stage and yes, we're focused on the animals and what's going on, but you can see everyone, you can see their faces in the crowd. Uh, And when you see that kind of light go on or that awe in their face, you know, it is, it is, like you said, a very special moment. Yeah, it really is. So what, um, you had a good few years at Miami Seacram, like you said, working with the sea lions and with the dolphins. So how did, uh, how did the big leap uh, come about <laughs> for you heading to Killer Well? Well, like I said, you know, I, I grew up in South Florida my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky um, because it was rare, but I, I did get a job after my first internship and I had never worked anywhere else. I had never lived anywhere else. Mm. Um, you know, I think, um, and this is kind of where, you know, I started to get my first, you know, sense of just rejection in the field. Um, I applied to, um, I had a lot of friends out in Texas and I visited San Antonio several times. I was just really impressed with the park. Um, it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's huge. Um, yeah. And um, yep, everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> in sea world, it's the, yeah. the largest of all three of the parks. Yes, yes. and their states. Oh my gosh. I, I remember when I visited, I vis- well, that's how we know each other is because I, I came to visit and you were very kind and you let me in. Oh, thank um, you. To, to watch some sessions and I snuck, I smuggled in donuts for you guys. I just remembered. I remember they were delicious. <laughs> oh, I got, I got into so much trouble from security. They were like, they were like, you can't bring donuts in. And I was like, these 20, these 24 donuts are not for me. Like they're for the, the orca team. And they were like, oh, you're, you're a killer rail trainer. I was like, yeah. And they were like, can we see your ID? And I was like, oh no, I'm not a killer rail trainer at not this here. park. <laughs> so I ended up having to show them like the background on my phone to prove oh that I was a trainer. Goodness. I'm like, no, this is me with a whale. Like, can you just let me in? So <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Being very visited- thorough. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd visited Texas a lot. I did. And so I applied to, I decided that I, I kind of just felt like I wanted to go on an adventure. You know, like I said, mm-hmm. I was, um, in, it was in my late twenties. I wanted to go and live somewhere else and work somewhere else. And I knew a lot of people um, that were working with me from Miami that had come from other places. And so I applied to SeaWorld San Antonio. Um, and then I also applied to the San Antonio Zoo. Um, and I got a rejection from SeaWorld San Antonio, but I got hired pretty much immediately at the zoo. And I was like, well, I never really thought too much about this, but maybe this is like, you know, an opportunity to go do something different. So I accepted the position and I moved to Texas and I worked at the zoo. Um, I was there for about a year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of hard work. It gave me a, you know, a huge appreciation for what zookeepers do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, And what, what species were you working with? I worked with um, the hippos, okapi, um, some of the ambassador animals, which included birds and reptiles. So it really was fun and exciting because those were animals that I had never had the opportunity to work Mm. with before. 
Yeah, and that's a huge amount of species diversity, you know, to learn what it's like to work with them. But for anyone listening, what would you say is, are some of the big differences between, you know, working with marine mammals and working with terrestrial mammals? I feel like, I think at the time, you know, we were doing a little bit of training at the zoo, but I think it was definitely a lot more um it was a lot less like operant conditioning and training than I was used to so Mm -hmm. for me I feel like the challenge there was more like coming up with with enrichment and coming up with um just different ways to kind of interact with the animals because I was so used to interacting with the animals that I work with pretty much constantly and I feel like animals at the zoo aren't as used to that in Mm -hmm. and some of them are but I think at the time in the areas where I worked it was kind of more like you know provide my enrichment make sure I have a you know a nice clean place to do whatever I want to do you know we we trained um you know some some medical behaviors and things like like that but I think Mm -hmm. that was kind of the biggest adjustment for me and do you think that was, was that a motivator for you to apply at SeaWorld again? It was. And I think too, you know, I moved away from, from Florida and the beach and then had a job <laughs> where I wasn't swimming anymore. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I, I literally feel like a fish out of water here. Yeah. So um, there was another round of um, opportunities that came about at SeaWorld. And this was um a little less than a year later. Um, and so I applied, um, and got a, a seasonal associate position there. So, um, I think that the important lesson I think there that I can share with other people is, you know, I was a trainer level close to a senior trainer promotion at Miami Sea Aquarium. And I, I knew that I wanted ultimately to go to SeaWorld and SeaWorld in Texas, because I just really love that park so much. Um, it still is my favorite park of all three of the parks. Um, but I, I applied to any opportunity I could get. And the mm-hmm. position that I got at SeaWorld was a seasonal, so not full-time and an associate position after yeah. having four years of paid experience and almost being, you know, being ready to be promoted to senior trainer. Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I always say to, to my mentees, especially ones that are making a change is, you know, you'd rather be at the bottom of the right ladder than halfway up the wrong one. I think that's really great advice. I actually like that saying. Because a lot of people use, you know, age as a reason for not doing something and, you know, oh, like, oh, I don't want to start, you know, getting a new qualification because it'll take three years and by then I'll be 30 or, you know, I don't want to start this training because then I'll be almost 40. And you're like, well, you're going to be that age at that point anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you rather be that age with the qualification? Yeah. Like, wouldn't you rather be that age with that qualification? So Yeah. yeah, don't let it stop you. And you clearly didn't. Nope. Yeah. You're, you're never stuck. You know, you can always start over. Um, I saw this saying the other day actually on Instagram and I loved it. And it was like, it's just, it's never too late to start over and over and over and over. Um, and I think once you, you get hired on at a facility, regardless of what your position is, it's really going to be your attitude and your worth ethic and your application behavior that's going to kind of show oh you know what he or she is ready for the next promotion maybe sooner than 
than a normal progression based on your, your performance and your experience. 100%. Yeah. So I, there first. yeah, I have no doubt that you applied all of that when you started, you know, your seasonal position. Um, how was that seasonal position with regards to, you know, the department you were working on and how did you turn that into, you know, becoming head killer real trainer? Oh my gosh. Um, I was so excited. I kind of couldn't believe that I was a trainer at SeaWorld. It was, it was kind of unreal. Um, uh, and I was at the Beluga and Pacific Whiteside at Dolphin area. So it was kind of my first time getting to do interaction programs and learning how much fun those can be. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely was hard. Um, and there were definitely times where I was frustrated because I was, um, like we kind of just talked about, you're starting from scratch, right? And you're starting over. And sure, I had four years of paid experience and maybe I did all of these skills and shows and water work and husbandry behaviors at my previous facility, but now here I am starting all over again. So I think um, I tried as much as I can to be humble, but still demonstrate my, my skills and my mm -hmm. abilities. Yeah. And I think it's important to have a balance of that. Cause I think if you, I mean, obviously you need to, to show what you, you, you bring to the table, you know, they hire people with experience for a reason, but if you come in too strong, um, you know, then that can obviously come mm -hmm. across not in a very positive way. Oh, it's definitely a balance. Yeah. So at what point did you end up making the change to go to Killer Row? So I actually worked at Killer Whale twice. I was at Whale and Dolphin, which is the beluga whale in Pacific Whiteside Dolphin area for about a year. And then I got moved to Killer Whale and I was there for about a year. And then I got moved um, back to Whale and Dolphin and I was there for another two years, um, two or three years actually, gosh, after, after a while, it's hard to keep track of the time. It just blurs together. <laughs> It's all a big blur of an amazing 10 years. Um, and then after about another two or three years, I got moved back to Killer Whale. So all in all, in my 10 years at SeaWorld, I spent four of them at um, Beluga Whale and Dolphin, and then the um, the other six years at Killer Whale. So yeah. I, um, I was a seasonal associate for only three months before there was an opportunity for full-time. Um, and I was... Uh, once again, lucky because I, I only was seasonal for three months and I got that full-time job after three months. Well, and I think, I think it's, I always tell people to stay away from saying, you know, it's about luck because yes, I agree yeah. there, there is a certain element of it, but it's more about timing and, yeah. you know, you work really, really hard to get yourself to the right point. And from then on, it's all timing. If there's a position available, if there's space where you yeah. are location wise, et cetera. But yeah. um, so how did it feel making the jump from whale and dolphin to killer whale? Did you feel that there was a marked difference in what you were doing day to day? Yes, uh, I did. I mean, I think I had zero experience with killer whales um, as a trainer. And I think at first I was kind of, I was kind of terrified because I was like, <laughs> oh no, I don't think I can pass their swim test and I don't you know I'm not sure if you know this is really what I want to do I I honestly like wasn't super 
excited at first. I think I was more scared. Um, yeah. You know, of course, I didn't want to leave the relationships that I had built with um, the beluga whales and the Pacific white sided dolphins that were um, absolutely amazing. Um, and so I remember talking to um, my curator and she kind of told me, listen, I think that this is a really good fit for you based on just me knowing you. So I, I want you to give it a try. And if in a year it's not what you want to do, then we can have another conversation, but you, you've got to go and you've got to try it because <laughs> I was, I was really that on the fence about it. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I went and I remember meeting with her a couple months later and I said, you were right. <laughs> ne please never move me again. <laughs> and she didn't. <laughs> so yeah. I, have, I have to thank, um, I have to thank her for really pushing me out of my comfort zone because, um, you know, and, and I think a lot of times that we never want to move away from our areas or our mm -hmm. animals, but I, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times those moves are just the best thing for us, for our mm -hmm. development both personally and professionally. Um, yeah. But I, I think the biggest differences uh, just going from beluga whale to killer whale is just, um, well, I went from having to care for, gosh, about 15 animals a day to um, five. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was different. A lot of killer whale areas, you know, they don't usually have as many animals as some mm -hmm. of the other um, animal areas in the park. Um, a lot more. Um, there are a lot more rules and SOPs. So it was yes. a lot more, um, a lot of studying and mm -hmm. a lot of pra practicing for a lot of the physical um, skill, um, skill reviews and, and tests and things that, that we practice every day. Yeah, um, there's lots um, of um, protocol binders yes. and uh, things to sign. And uh, yes. yeah, the uh, the recurring nightmare of a swim test, because uh, when you're a killer whale trainer, uh, that, yeah. that little thing likes to uh, pop its head up a few times a year. Yeah. Do you have any advice um, for listeners who might be nervous about taking swim tests? You know, I think that swim tests are a lot more mental than they are physical. Yeah, there is obviously a physical aspect to it, right? We're swimming. We're mm -hmm. a lot of times in colder temperatures. We're holding our breath. So it's definitely physical, but, um, you know, no one's asking us to to do anything that our bodies can't physically um, handle. Yeah. And so it really is a lot more mental. And I remember after being there, I, there was just no way I wasn't going to pass it because, yep. <laughs> you know, I would just kind of picture, you know, one of the whales and just be like, okay, I'm doing this for you. You know, I'm doing this oh. for you, and, you know, you just did it. And it just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, every, every job and every career has things that maybe aren't the most fun and swim tests are definitely on that list, at least for yep. me. But, um, you know, it's just, another part of the job but mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's not like not I don't think any single trainer would ever be like I love swim test day <laughs> like I don't I don't think that's a sentence yeah. I've I've ever heard um but nope. yeah it is it is necessary you know it exists for a reason you have to be a strong swimmer for a reason um you know we're not trying to catch anyone out and be like haha you didn't pass it's just we want you to pass because you need to in order to do the job yeah. So when you got into working with the whales and, you know, like we all say, it is a whole different ball game when you're there. What, what was it like for you to start building relationships with killer whales? Um, I, 
I still kind of felt like I couldn't believe it. I, uh, there were definitely days where I was like, wow, I am a killer whale trainer yeah. in the world and mm-hmm. I'm getting, I'm getting paid yeah, right right? to <laughs> make friends with these amazing animals. Um, it's just amazing. It's really hard to put, I think, into words, just what it's like to build a relationship with, with any animal. Um, but I feel like with an animal, like a killer whale, just the sheer size and the sheer power, um, you know, it's, it's humbling. There's, I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of respect there. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of respect and a lot of trust. And I think I was, um, I love my relationships with all of the whales. Um, but I definitely feel like my relationship with, um, with the matriarch there, Chakara was one that I worked really hard on because Mm -hmm. she's, you know, she's a very busy lady. She has a lot of things to (laughs) care of throughout her day. Um, She's a mom, she's a boss, you know, and for her to be able to put those things aside and, and give me a little bit of her time during an interaction, I felt like was something that I always had so much respect for. Do you know, I've never heard it put like that before. (laughs) That's just how I felt about it. Yeah. And it makes like what you've said is just that's so clear to me. Um, But I've never heard it put like that before and I don't know maybe that just makes me super selfish like expecting Wiki to always make time for me um you know because Wiki was the same position as Takara you know she's the matriarch and and she's mom of of two very boisterous boys Takara is the mom of two very boisterous girls um so but yeah that and it you know what that sums up how humbling it really is like you are an afterthought as a trainer you're an afterthought to them you are if you have that relationship, they will make time for you, but otherwise you don't matter and you have to work for it. <laughs> you do. Yeah, you do. And I think in those moments where I think in those moments where I could tell that maybe there was something social going on and she could easily at any time leave me to mm. go t- tend to that or, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever else she could possibly be doing at the time, but she chose to stay with me. I felt yes. like those were the moments where I was like, wow, this is mm-hmm. the relation. This relationship is real. And you're making a choice to stay with me, yeah. even though we both and see and are acknowledging that there's something else going on, but here we are and it's okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. And equally, conversely, you can feel terrible in a millisecond when, when you want them to stay with you and they're like, bye, yeah. I'm going to go deal with this. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, working with Killer Rails, it's such an incredible privilege and a challenge. Um, and, you know, at least for me, it was, it was just what I wanted to, you know, keep doing. And it was just, for me, it was, it was so much, I don't want to say better than working with any other species, but it's what I enjoyed the most. Um, but I remember one thing that I noticed when I came to visit San Antonio, the day, at least the day that I visited, it was an all female team. It was, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. And I realized when we went to take a photo, we took a photo of all the trainers and for some reason, we just had the three female whales behind us as well. So we had Takara, (laughs) Sakari and Kamea. And, um, I was like, oh my God, it's all women. What was that like? And I know there were some um, guys on the team as well, obviously, but what was it like being a woman, being in charge of women and being in charge of such uh, of a department that I think a lot of pressure is put on? 
I guess I didn't really think about that until, until you, you really said it that, you know, we were, we, it was a predominantly, you know, female team. Um, I am very grateful that I had um, a lot of really strong, amazing women leaders, um, Mm -hmm. including, including my, my direct supervisor at the time um, at Killer Whale, Julie, to learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I feel like I had a lot of really strong um, female role models in our industry, Mm. um, especially at Killer Whale, um, especially at SeaWorld San Antonio with Julie and Jenny. And I feel like I learned a lot from them. Um, And even to this day, I, I strive to, um, you know, kind of emulate, you know, what, what they do or what they would do in certain situations, because I feel like they were very, um, and still are, they're very strong, strong leaders and strong bosses and they lead with like strength, but grace at the same time. And Mm I, I feel like, um, I am very grateful to be, to have, to be able to have learned from some really strong women Mm. leaders because, you know, in, in the past, this was a very, um, male dominated industry. Absolutely. it's different now. Um, mm. but I feel like it was just a lot of fun. Um, there were definitely I think, <laughs> some challenges, but I, I think I enjoyed those challenges. And I think that at, at the end of the day, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, I, I'm going to make the best decision and the best, um, choice for the animals, the area, the department, mm-hmm. the company. Um, and I think that what, that's what kind of makes a great leader, you know, regardless yeah. of if you're a man, or a woman, but, um, but it definitely was a really cool moment and yeah. girl power. And, yeah. yeah. And you made a really nice point. Like killer whales specifically used to be a very do- male dominated section of the field yeah. because so many people would just see, you know, killer whales, they're so big, they're so large, you know, just breaking it down to mechanics, like the buckets are so heavy, <laughs> you know, let's <laughs> have strong men to deal with these animals. And I remember when I was working at Laurel Park, um, Chuck Tompkins from SeaWorld would come and visit every so often. And we had a really nice conversation and we were watching um, one of the fantastic trainers over there, Idaida, working with Kohana. And um, he was just like, I am in awe of this relationship. She works so well with these whales. And he made the exact same point of, he felt that women were better suited to working with killer whales because they were more, or typically, you know, I think men and women can have these qualities equally. Um, But women tend to be a little bit more emotional, more pensive, more intuitive. And that is so much more important in working with killer whales than just physical strength. Um, And I thought that that was just such a fantastic point that he had made, you know, someone who, you know, had seen this field right back at the very beginning and has, and has watched it progress and can say, you know, it's not the flashy, you know, who has the most muscles and who's the strongest that can work with killer whales. It's, it's the people who can really listen to the animals and understand their needs and adapt to them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting. And, and I, I kind of agree, you know, I do agree, of course, that, you know, both men and women can possess all of those qualities Absolutely, for sure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, 
to strength, you know, the killer whale is always going to win in that department. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, as long as, you know, anybody can lift a heavy bucket or, or do, the, mm-hmm. you know, the heavy lifting. But if, if you don't have that intu- intuitiveness and that emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. um, and you're not able to apply that to certain situations, um, then you're, you're not always going to succeed in all of those interactions with, with a killer. Yeah. Whale, for sure. I mean, with the whales, it's so much, you have to be a few steps ahead, you know, yeah. instead of just being like, Oh crap, I'm in this situation. It's about <laughs> not getting into that situation in the first place. Yeah. And when I mean situation, like talking about whales leaving control or putting your whale in a, a difficult situation for them, just by simply not noticing that their baby well, I say baby in a lulusus sense that whale could now be six years old, but it's still her baby, um, could sure. be two, two pulls away and you've gated into the front and all of a sudden she's annoyed with you. She's not happy because that other animal is a little bit too far away. It's about reading that situation and saying, okay, let's move this whale first before I do my session. Yeah. I think that one of the big differences for me also with killer whales versus maybe other animals is that applies, I think, to every species, but I feel like with killer whales, I don't know, I almost felt like they are more, they're more sensitive or more reactionary to those changes than maybe other species were. And I don't know if it was just my personal experience or that's just my personal opinion, but, um, you know, I think any, any species would maybe react to things like that or behave Mm -hmm. in that way. But I, I do feel like with killer whales, you know, it was so much not more important, but it was just very important to be, be very proactive and to be thinking like five or six steps ahead because I felt like, I don't know, I do feel like they were a little bit more sensitive to some of the social changes. Yeah. And taking into consideration the rest of the social group, as well as just the animal that you're working with for sure. Yeah. Um, but with regards to just being a killer whale trainer in general, especially in the present day, you know, it's definitely not an easy department to work in. And I'm not talking about the day-to-day at SeaWorld, the day-to-day at Laura Park or Marineland. I'm talking about in the wider world. It's not easy these days to say in general, I'm a killer rail trainer. Um, do you feel that killer rail trainers or marine mammal trainers in general are misrepresented in the media or have been let down in the media recently? Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the hardest aspects of the career, especially, Mm. especially right now in these times. Um, Because, you know, on one hand, I I feel like, especially being a killer whale trainer, I, I felt like I was part of something so much more. And it was Mm. the, the, the community of people that, that these animals as much as the trainers love them that come to the park weekly that ask how they're doing you know that that send them birthday cards and mother's day cards and all of this um I never was a part of that working in any other area with any other species Mm. where Mm -hmm. it where it was like to that degree but then on the flip side of that I never experienced so much um just negativity and um just just a kind of aggression from, from yeah. people that really just have no idea what they are talking about. Um, you know, and you, you have people, I think that are, um, never going to agree with what we do. Um, and then there are people that love what we do. And then there are kind of people that are in the middle that, yeah. 
you know, they, they might hear something or see one article and then that's kind of what they know because they mm -hmm. don't know anything else. And I feel like, um, you know, those are the people that I, I'm going to take the time to, to talk to and to just answer questions and so that they can kind of make their own opinion. But um, I feel like there's just a great amount of pressure and responsibility um, yes. that come that comes with the role that you might not realize coming into it because yeah. you really are an ambassador and a voice for these animals, um, mm -hmm. whether you kind of want to be or not. It's just. Yeah. And there's a big I, I spotlight. There's a big spotlight on you as a killer rail trainer to be like, to stand, not necessarily to stand up for, you know, the field, but to stand up for the, your animals. Yeah. And I think, you know, we spend, we, you know, we spend more time with the animals than we do with our, our own families at home. And so mm. you, you really are passionate about it. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like when you hear somebody saying something about one of the whales, you know, it's, you're, it's, that's like them saying that about, you know, your family because yeah. they do become your family. And so it, it's, it's hard, I think sometimes to not let it really affect you um, mm -hmm. on an emotional level. Um, and I think the best advice that I would give myself and my team and anyone else experiencing that is, you know, our, at the end of the day, our responsibility is to make sure that we go to work and that those animals have 110% of our energy yes. the entire time that we're there. So our job yes. is to make sure that they are, we are exceeding their expectations when it comes to being healthy and happy and enriched um, and all of those things. Um, for and sure at the end of the day and they had a better day than when we got there in the morning yes um, and it's I think that's such such good advice because we can get so bogged down in what we've read on social media or what we've heard on the news or anything like that that we forget that the animals don't know any of that yeah. our animals don't know what's going on the only thing that they know is what we give them Yep, they don't so know we, and they don't care and they don't deserve to, you know, no, to have, to, have like, to deal with how that could possibly affect us. Yes, you know? they must be protected um, at all costs. But um, as someone who has stepped away from the killer rails after working with them for five years, you have also stepped away um, from killer rails, although you're still working in the field. How did that come about? How did you end up making the very difficult decision, you know, to, to move on from your time working with the whales? Um, it was probably one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my whole life, um, if not the most difficult decision. Um, and I had been in Texas for 10 years so, um, you know, a decade of my life that I mm -hmm. had dedicated to SeaWorld and to the animals and over half of that time to the killer whales. And I never really saw myself in Texas forever. I always missed Florida. I always missed home, of course, yeah. like everybody I'm sure does. Um, and I think that after, um, during the pandemic, I think everybody had um, you know, a lot of time to kind of just think about their priorities and, you know, where it gave me a lot of time to just kind of reflect. I mean, I worked the entire time, but it just, you know, not being able to do much else. I kind yeah. of was like, okay, where do I see myself in five years, in 10 years? Um, where do I see myself retiring? You know, and that answer was 
Texas was never that place for me, um, although I love it and still miss a lot of, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things about Texas, especially San Antonio. Um, but for me, I think it's just kind of put into perspective that, you know, I've been away from my family for 10 years and, and as they get older, you know, I've missed out on 10 years of, of milestones and birthdays and holidays. And yeah. I kind of just reevaluated my priorities and I, I felt like it was, I was never going to be a hundred percent okay with saying goodbye to the whales, but I also don't think I would have been okay with staying in Texas forever and missing out on time with my family back here in Florida. And that's yeah. kind of what led me to, to make the most difficult decision. I, I was so happy and so beyond blessed with the experiences that I got to participate in over the 10 years that I had with SeaWorld. Um, and it, it was, like I said, the hardest decision ever, but ultimately um, I had an opportunity to continue my career yeah. um, and be home with family and be in a place where I could really see myself kind of putting down some permanent roots, um, you know, and, and kind of you know, I can see myself living in Florida forever. So, I mean, having the best of both worlds, like you've managed to bring your passion and your career as well as your personal life together. And I think that's something that we all strive for. And I think it's really important for people to understand because I do like when I left the Wales, there, there definitely was a lot of judgment. And I think every trainer leaving any dream job, especially a dream job that so many people would fight tooth and nail to have, there's a, a lack of understanding of why you would choose to leave. Um, but I think you've put that beautifully. And I think with a little bit more understanding of, you know, how demanding it can be to give up everything just for, for, for a job. At the end of the day, it's still a job. It's a job that we love, the animals we adore. Um, but yeah, there, sometimes there just comes a point where you need a little bit more in your life. Yeah. And I think, it's okay to make that decision. And a lot of people, I think, you know, in our field, we kind of suffer from like this identity crisis that, you yes. know, what will I, what will I do if I'm not a killer whale trainer anymore? You know, you can do whatever you want. Oh, trust me that it took me a <laughs> and, year to make yeah. the decision to try and unravel, yeah. unravel the threads of my own personality and try and figure out who I was without them. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Same. Yeah. It's, it's hard. But you it's are, and, and... sorry, go ahead. I totally interrupted no. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I was just going to say, you know, and I always try to promote this even today, um, you know, in the area where I work, you know, yes, we, we dedicate so much to these animals, but it is important that we have our own, our own lives and our own identities outside of the job yes. because I think a lot of times that's what kind of can contribute sometimes to just, you hear a lot about marine mammal facilities and toxic workplaces. And I think it, it I think part of that just has to do with how we are a very tight knit group of passionate people. And yes. sometimes, you know, it, it's like a family in itself, but you have to kind of have other outlets. And yes, this is a big part of our life, but you, you were also a, a whole person before you did this career. And so, and after you leave it, you will also be holistically, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I think that is such a perfect message to end this on. Um, 
So thank you. Just thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and your story with everyone. I know that so many people are going to resonate with it, are going to be inspired by it. And yeah, I wish you all of the best back at Miami Sea Aquarium where you are now. And I hope that you continue shooting for the stars in your career. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's This has been so much fun. I feel like I haven't um, really gotten to talk to you much since you came to Texas to visit. Um, and it was so much fun to meet you and your mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> My little cheerleader. She comes everywhere. <laughs> um, the best. No, it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this has been a pleasure. And it's been so much fun to watch kind of your story um, kind of grow and fold. And so I'm just glad that I get part of it. Oh, thank you. I'm just honored that, you know, I got to meet all of you guys and, you know, the opportunities that my career has brought me um, has just been fantastic. And here's some more of it. Um, Definitely. So thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. So everyone listening, if you want a little bit more information about how to become a killer rail trainer, then my book, I Still Believe, is available on Amazon. If you want to inquire about personalized coaching sessions, then you can sign up via my website at hazelmcbride.nl. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have enjoyed it, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you guys next week.